Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we kick off the new year, we invite you to tune into our current series, The Forgotten Virtue, Learning to Love Again, where we'll discover how God defines love, Christ personifies love, and the Spirit empowers us to love one another. Together, we'll experience healing and hope in the love God designed for us, a love we carry through every season of life. Let me just share with you a few things here. In my years here at Woodside, I have done dozens of weddings. And uh, inevitably, uh, you know, they're, they're somewhat the same. You know, there's the, the bride comes in, everyone stands. There's the statement of intent to the bride and groom. Do you really want to do this? Do you really want to do this? And they say, yes, we do. Uh, there's the wedding challenge which they never remember. <laughs> but there's that whole process. Then you get to the reception. And at the reception, before you knew it, Aunt Millie is taking the heaviest piece of silverware, the, the knife, and she's pounding on the glass trying to get the couple to kiss, right? Some of the couples, they have a way of uh, kind of bypassing that. They say, look, we're not going to do that. When you come in, uh, if you want us to kiss, you have to sing a love song. All the introverts are like, whoa. All the extroverts, and you know who you are. The next thing you know, you're breaking out in song, leading your table, and it's a great time. You know, we have all of those expressions of love. And throughout the world, you know, there's those songs uh, that they sing at that reception. You can fill in the blank. Some of them are old, some of them are new. But it always gives a perspective in some ways, of what the world loves. And last week, uh, Abe spoke to us from 1 John chapter 2. We're going to go there again, 1 John chapter 2, if you want to turn in your Bibles there and join me or your devices, look that up. But, you know, sometimes we think that love uh, just covers everything and that that love of God justifies Whatever sin may happen, but yet in the Word, God says this. David in Psalm chapter, Psalm chapter 5, he says, you hate sin, you abhor it. Solomon in Proverbs chapter 6, he says, Think, six things God hates, seven are an abomination to him. And so there are those things that the world embraces that God does not, he hates it. And so, if you turn in your Bibles there to chapter 2, starting at verse 12, I, I want us to look at this passage because it gives a description of God's people in verses 12 through 14. And those things have to be true so that we have the right perspective of the second part of that chapter of those verses. So, join me if you would at verse 12. He says, I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I'm writing to you fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you children, because you know the father. I write to you fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you overcome the evil one. You know, in that passage, you see three characters. You see children, a father, and young men. And throughout, throughout John's letter, 
this little letter of 1 John, he over and over again uses the term little children. And here in the fourth row here, we have some younger children. And he refers to all of us as young as children. He says, my children walk in love. Who's he referring to? He's referring to men and women, all believers, all followers of Christ. They are the children that he's referring to. He refers to fathers. He's referring to uh, us who may be much older in the faith. John, in writing this little letter, he could have been in his 80s or 90s. So he either had gray hair or no hair, <laughs> but he had been around for a long time. He was battle-scarred. He knew what life was about. Then he writes to those young men. He describes them as conquerors. And so what I'd like for us to do here today is kind of look at these three characters, the children, the fathers, the young men, and then his command to them. But what is true in these first few verses really sets up the last part of the verses that we'll address here in just a little bit, just a little bit. So he says, first of all, that we need to embrace who we are in Jesus. Let me explain. He says, children, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. Folks, think of that. You are forgiven. God does not remember your sin. He chooses not to. He says, as far as the east is from the west, so I have removed your sin from you. So that when I look at you, no longer do I see that sin. I see Christ's righteousness upon you. It's, it's, it's perfect. It's what he has done. But how does, what, is the, what is the reason behind that? Look what he says. Your forgiveness is rooted in the character of that name. We're forgiven for his namesake. His namesake. You know, there's a lot of words for God in the Bible. When you read your Old Testament, you have a study Bible down in the notes. It's going to give you probably the, kind of that Hebrew uh, word for the name of God, El Elyon, Yahweh, uh, or Jehovah, uh, Adonai, El Shaddai. All of those names of God that are in there. David writes in Psalm 23, because of your righteousness, he says, because of your righteousness, you lead me in those paths of righteousness. Why? For your namesake. For your namesake. Folks, we are believers and new creatures in Christ because of what Christ has done, because of his name. What does it say? Peter says in Acts chapter 4. He says that there is no other name, no other name but the name of Jesus, and because of him we are saved. Uh, in, in Philippians, Paul writes this there is no other name given among men, uh, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Every tongue will confess on who he is. And so there is that power in that name. In Revelation, uh, right at the very beginning of the book, it says that God will write on us the name of Christ 
and who we are. So it's for his namesake. He wants us to know that we are forgiven by God, that we are secure in him. And that's true of every, every one of us as children of the Father, that we know him. And truly knowing the, the, the Father means that, know, that we know the one who has been there from the beginning. Note that's what he says about the fathers. They've been there. They know him. They've experienced him. Uh, that, that life of following him brings perspective. And when I say perspective, let me explain. Um, years ago, my father-in-law, Bob Shelton, he was the pastor of First Baptist of Pontiac, which is now our White Lake campus. Uh, I served there for nine years. Uh, but before him, Dr. Henry Savage was there. He was there for 37 years. He started in 1924 and I think went to 1961. Uh, Henry Savage was um, a mentor to Billy Graham. Uh, he was uh, just a pioneer in missions. That's, you know, that second, third wave of missions after World War II. Just an incredible man. He had multi-site church. He, he developed that before it even became popular in, in the last, you know, 15, 20 years. But Henry Savage, he had retired. And about 1967 is when he passed away. Uh, he founded the Maranatha Bible Conference Center over in Muskegon. Uh, he was living over there with his wife. And um, my father-in-law knew that he was passing away. He was on his deathbed. And my father-in-law came up to, came to see him, and he was hoping to have some little nugget of truth to be able to share at his funeral. And he came in the room, and Doc Savage said to my father, he says, Bob, come closer, because he was just a whisper at that point. And Dr. Savage, he, he, he says this to my father-in-law as he leans over. He says, Bob, just remember, this is just a shell. The nut is gone. <laughs> okay? He knew where he was going. Final words. He, he could say that because of a life that he had lived, that he knew the father from the beginning. This year, um, we've lost three family members, none to covid um, my wife's Uncle Jack, his last words to his wife, I'll be waiting for you. Why do you know that? It was because of a life as a father that he knew where he was going. My mother-in-law, Sherry's uh, mom, she passed away in April. And uh, she would pray, Lord, please take me. She was ready. Why? Because of a life that she had lived following Christ. Dad, uh, Sherry's father, he, he passed away in August. And I was in his room, and he was looking off to the right, and I said, Dad, what are you looking at? What do you see? He said, heaven. He said, heaven. A few words later, he said, this is hard. But look, because of what Christ had done in his life and a path, a history of having followed Christ, he had no fear. <laughs> David say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? Because you're there. So he writes these fathers, and he says, knowing, knowing the Father means knowing him who was from the very beginning. 
And so these fathers are the ones that, uh, that John is talking about. He knew that, um, hey, uh, God's going to be there in the end. You know, he knew us from the very beginning. He, what is Hebrews, 11, Hebrews 12, 2 says that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith, right? He's the designer. You know, we, in a, boy, 120 days, I think, uh, these walls are going to be blasted out and, well, not blasted, they're going to be broken out. Uh, but we're going to start to worship in a new building. How'd that happen? Well, obviously through our gifts, but there was an architect. His name is Doug Johnson. And every week, Doug Johnson is here with two other key guys, uh, Cliff Siever from our White Lake campus, uh, Keith McKenzie from Pontiac. Uh, this is a Woodside thing where they're designing. But every week, Doug Johnson comes in and he walks through this building. You know, he designed it. He knows, he knows every intricate part of that. And as he goes through and he, he says, no, that's not right. He fixed that. But he drew it up. Folks, God designed you. He designed you. He knows the beginning. Uh, he knows the end from the very beginning. Uh, he knows everything about us. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And so John is writing to those fathers. Third, uh, he writes to these young men, these, these overcomers, these conquerors. And, you know, he says, where did they get their strength? Abe mentioned it last week. Do you remember Psalm 119? It starts out, verse 10, how shall a young man cleanse his way? Well, the answer, by taking heed according to your word. I'm quoting King James, that's how I learned it. But, uh, but, but following God's word, then what does he say? Abe quoted it last week. Your word, what? I've hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Folks, these are these young men who, who have fought, who have conquered. Maybe they have some battle scars too. Maybe it felt like they were losing. Maybe it was like, uh, uh, you know, the third quarter, fourth quarter of a football game. You're down by two uh, touchdowns. And something clicks, and all of a sudden, boom, they score. Boom, they score. It's, it's tied. There's a field goal at the end. There were games, I don't know if you watched some of the college games, that were just won literally in the last three seconds of the game. Uh, I mean, I played basketball, high school, some in college, and there was always those games where, man, you're down, and you fight back, and somehow there's that buzzer beater. Well, these are these conquerors, these young men. How did they do it? It is by overcoming by the word of God, and our victory is found in having overcome that evil one. He is the one who gives us the strength to f finish. Notice what he says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. He says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the one that leads us. He is the one who cares us. You know, there's three things here, let me point out, that we need to reckon with. You know, as believers, guys, if you don't know it yet, we are always at war. 
we're always at war. What does Paul say in Ephesians there at the very end of that book? He says, my brothers, put on the whole armor of God. And he describes it. You know, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. Uh, you know, our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, taking the sword of the Spirit. But he says it, he says it this way. He says, put on the whole armor of God so that when, not if, when the evil one comes, we'll be prepared. We have to be prepared. We are always at war. Second, we're strong through Christ. Uh, we have our strength in Him. And third, we can be victorious in, in that war against temptation. Um, you know, I love 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. Uh, Paul writes this. He says, um, there's no temptation that has seized you or taken you that is not common to man. But God is faithful who will, with that temptation, provide a way of escape so that you may be able to bear it. Folks, we're not alone. And you know, when we think about those temptations, it's, it's something that God prepares us for as we prepare ourselves. We have to have the right attitude. We have to know that, look, Sin is a battle in our life. I like what uh, John Owen said. He says, always be killing the sin in your life. Why? For you may be sure that sin is killing you. We're at war. We're in a battle. We have to be prepared. We have to have that posture of being ready for the warfare. How do we do that? Hey, listen, we don't do it by ourselves, okay? We, we do it in the context of a community, uh, if you're not in a group, uh, now's the best, really is a great time to do that, right here at the beginning of the year. If you want to find out more, uh, talk to Kristen Legato. Uh, see me afterwards. In two weeks, come to steps three and four. We talk about groups. But there's that posture that we prepare ourselves through strength with one another's one another as a community of faith. We walk together. And third, in a position... That is putting sin to death daily in our lives. And so we fight. We're in this battle. We fight with one another. Uh, what is true about us is that we need to embrace who we are in Jesus, right? As a believer, we've been changed. We're new. We're a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new, right? We embrace that. But then, here's where we get to this last part of this passage. Guys, we reject what the world has to offer. Notice what he says here in verse 15. He says, do not love the world, neither the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. As we think about that battle, we're not to, when we says we're not to love, that is, we're, we're to reject it. And the love that he's talking about here, don't be confused because 
sometimes we think, okay, well, John 3.16 says God so loved uh, the world. Well, he did love the world. That's you, that's you and me. But we talk about the world here. We talk about that system that is hostile to God, that is hostile to God, that is, that is pushing against um, God's design. Uh, we've seen that from the, very, from the very beginning with Satan's warfare against God. And we'll go into that in a little bit here. But we, when we say we love God and we love the world, it, it's a, um, there's a conflict there. We have to not only say we love God, but we have to live that out. So uh, if I tell my wife, Sherry, Sherry, I love you, but I don't ever live that out, there's going to be a question in her mind, isn't there? Uh, if I love my wife, but also love, an, love another woman who's not my wife, boy, there's a real big problem right there, isn't there? And so Paul is, or John is saying, hey, look, love God, don't love the world and what it stands for, that system uh, of, of, that is hostile to God. And folks, it is alive and well today. Uh, there's that spirit of Antichrist. John talks about it a little bit later here in this letter. There's that spirit of Antichrist that is alive and well right now in the world. And I'm not talking about off the shores of the United States of America. It's here too. If you haven't seen it, <laughs> it's there. Trust me. We see it every day. But it's hostile against what God is trying to do. So John expands on these verses with three things. He says, the world can't offer you uh, what you need. Okay? The world can't offer you what it promises, and the world can't offer you what lasts. Let me break those down for you. Notice verse 16 again. For he says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Um, he's, he says, as the forgiven children of God, you ought to go to the Heavenly Father to get what you need, right? That's what we should be doing. The world can't offer what we need. This isn't new. Uh, this is a truth that's been around since the beginning because you see it in Genesis at the very beginning. Let me read you that passage in Genesis 3.6. He says, so when the woman saw, who's the woman? Eve, right? When the, when the woman saw or understood that there was good, uh, that the tree was good for food, that's the desires of the flesh, Okay? And that the tree was, uh, and, and that it was a delight to the eyes. There we go, the desires of the eyes. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, the sinful pride of life. She took of its fruit and ate, and also gave some to her, her husband who was with her, and he ate. All three, that, what, write, what John is writing here is not new. Uh, the pride of the pride of the flesh, or the lust of the flesh, the pride of eyes, and the pride of life. We see that all the way back in Genesis, and Satan was using that temptation, ultimately for the fall of man, which has been passed upon all of us, right? 
And so John is here saying, look, this isn't new. This is what you need to reject. And he says, beware because of your appetites, uh, your affections, your ambitions. God has created a lot of wonderful things that Satan has counterfeited and made bad. Uh, back in 2000, wow, how long has it been? I think 19, 19 I think it was year 2000. I was on staff at Troy, and uh, Pastor Doug, um, he says, you know, we need a recovery ministry. I said, okay. Um, so he said, check it out. So I did. And I did a little bit of study and a little bit of homework. And God led to us a, 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 a woman. Her name was Malva. And I'll never forget her because her husband was an alcoholic. And he was in California, and she came back to Michigan. And Malva told us about a program called Celebrate Recovery uh, that was at Saddleback Church in California. And uh, so I was looking at that, and I kind of drug my feet, and I'm thinking, wow, is that something I really want to get involved in? So Doug came in, Pastor Doug came in, he says, how's that recovery program going? And I kind of <laughs> stumbled around. He said, get it going. Uh, Doug had a way of doing that. He said, get it going. And I thought, wow, let's go. So we began Celebrate Recovery. And after a while, I thought, okay, God had a design in this because of my past. My dad was probably an alcoholic. Um, my brother was a heroin addict. Uh, my sister was married to the same alcoholic twice. And th those appetites just tore into their lives. And as I began ministering at Celebrate Recovery, there was story after story of things that were good that were abused. Those appetites that God had created for food, for sex, for uh, you name it. Things that were good but yet overcame people. And so those appetites need to have boundaries. They need to have accountability. And so to keep them from being uh, to keep them from being abused. Uh, I love this phrase. It says, will what I'm considering doing have the potential to dominate or enslave me? You know, we ought to ask that about a lot of things. Is what I'm doing, is it going to dominate me or enslave me? Because so many things can do that so easily. And so we have to keep up our guard. We have to be ready as the young men in this passage in John, be willing to do battle with the evil one and not shrink back at it. Then he says, our affections. There's a lot of things that we love. But yet, as we look at those things, are we saying, well, I, I want this? Are, are, are we um, desiring them so bad that we're willing to do things that would harm us or our families, uh, our ambition. Uh, we all have ambition, but does that ambition go beyond, go beyond our service to the, to, to the Lord? There are things that matter for eternity, things that don't. Will the thing that I am doing today matter five years from now? You know, we have to ask ourselves those questions. You know, only the world uh, can give us what we need. It, it doesn't even give us what it promises. Um, you know, 
I think of this movie. Uh, it was about uh, Frank Abagnale. Maybe you know that name. Uh, his early life was depicted in a film uh, called Catch Me If You Can. Uh, Leo Cap uh, DiCaprio was in it, Tom Hanks. But Tom, or Frank Abagnale was a master of deception and fraud. He was, uh, he didn't do anything, he didn't have the training for anything, these things. He, he posed as a Pan American pilot, okay? Uh, rode all over the country. He, he logged millions of sky miles uh, just as that fraudulent way. He, he posed himself as a pediatric surgeon. He posed as an attorney. And actually in Louisiana, he passed the law exam. But he posed of all these things. But he was a fake. He was a fake. It was empty. There was no substance to it. And so, um, obviously... He, has a, he actually has a company now that advises companies on fraud, uh, how to defeat fraud in their systems. And so there's that fake. There's no substance to it. It's a shadow. It's nothing. And what the world offers, guys, it does not last. It just does not last. We know that our lives in Christ, uh, there is a future. Uh, I was talking to someone last week, and they were quoting that uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. You know, I know the plans that I have for you. Um, you know the rest of the verse. For goodness and not for evil. He has plans. But sometimes we get so caught up with what this world has to offer that we miss that. Let me tell you another story here in closing. Um, it's, about a, a, it's about a Bible character. It's in the New Testament. He was one of Paul's, the Apostle Paul's companions in ministry. He's mentioned three times. He's mentioned in, um, in Colossians as one of his companions in ministry. He's mentioned in Philemon, that little letter to Philemon, who is writing on behalf of a slave, Onesimus. But then he's mentioned in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And let me read what it says here. This is just chilling. He's writing, to, he's writing to Timothy, who was in Ephesus at the time. He says, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to be in Thessalonica. Only Luke is with me. In love with this present world. You can almost hear the sorrow in Paul's writing there, can't you? His heart was broken because he and De it isn't like us coming together here today and worshiping. These guys were with one another 24-7. They knew each other intimately. And so when Demas embraced what the world had to offer, it broke the apostle Paul's heart. Um, the love of the world claimed a victim, uh, and that victim was, was Demas, his, his companion in ministry. You know, when you think about the end of your life, what's going to be written there? What's going to be there? He or she followed God, trusted in Him to the, to the very end. Folks, we all hear of failures, 
Um, and we have to persevere through our walk with Christ. We can't give up. Um, whom will you love? Whom will you love? Where do your affections lie? What are you feasting upon? Folks, this is Paul's or John's command to us. Love not the world, neither the things are in the world. For the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, where does it lead? It just doesn't satisfy. We need to follow him and trust him completely. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you that Jesus is that one who is the author and the finisher of our faith. His name is imprinted upon us that we are your children because of the cross. We thank you, God, that you have covered our sin, that, Lord, that we can follow you. Lord, we want to be able to hear at the end of our lives when we stand in your presence, well done, good and faithful servant. So, Lord, we commit our lives to you. We pray that you would use us in Jesus' strong and mighty name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.